Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me, Joe Vigiano. So today's episode, we're going to talk a bit about uh, college football as the uh, season starts this week. Uh, they want to call it week zero, um, but what do I know? I'll, uh, I'll go into my thoughts about that. Uh, we'll talk a bit about uh, the Jets-Giants game tonight, um, Battle of MetLife Stadium, and uh, what to expect especially between uh, Daniel Jones and uh, Aaron Rodgers, because those are going to be the two most important figures uh, for these two New York football teams this year. So uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and we'll talk about the Jets, or correction, the Mets and the Yankees, and the continuation of what seems to be a never-ending baseball season this year. Um Let's just face facts. We're, we're ready to uh, move into other sports. The baseball teams have let us down this year, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to discuss uh, a little bit more about that and amend some of these statements on a previous podcast in particular about uh, who I think are World Series contenders. Uh, so let's gear up and get ready for another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me. Okay, so as I mentioned, the uh, college football season starts this week. Uh, Games beginning right now. Uh, There is a game ongoing, and that is Notre Dame versus uh, the Naval Academy. Um, That's going to be a very long game for the Naval Academy, as Notre Dame's already up 14 to nothing here uh, early on in the first half of the game. Um, That really is the, the big game, I would say, of the week, which isn't really saying much. But uh, like I said, it's quote-unquote week zero. Uh, I'm just going to call it an extension of week one because that's pretty much what it is. Come on now. How can you have a week zero when teams are playing legitimate games? makes no sense, so I don't believe it. Um, But with that being said, uh, the real stuff for almost everybody else starts next next Saturday. Uh, There are a few ranked teams playing this week. Uh, like I said, Notre Dame's going right now. USC plays tonight. Um, I forget who else. There is another ranked game going on, but uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, with the college football season starting, I know I talked about a lot of the big games coming up uh, over the course of the uh, season on my previous uh, podcast episode. So uh, I'm going to actually give a uh, thought on who I think is going to win the national championship, and who I think is going to the uh, playoffs. So uh, let's start off with the playoff teams that, uh, or teams that I think can contend for a playoff spot. Uh, first and foremost, Georgia. Georgia is clearly going to be uh, contending again. Uh, they are uh, a very good football team. They, once again, are the back-to-back national champs. So to think that they're not going to compete for another title would be uh, a bit of crazy talk. So they certainly are a team that could uh, certainly compete for another title and go for a three-peat. You know, just being honest here, they certainly are uh, the front-runners right now. Uh, Another team that can contend, uh, the University of Michigan, the Wolverines, uh, their season ending last year in disappointment in the semifinals to a very good TCU team. Uh, TCU is a very good team, but uh, let's 
let's be honest. I mean, they were a very good team last year. They should be good again this year, just not as solid. But uh, let's be honest, Michigan underperformed in the semifinal game. Uh, their defense was essentially a no-show. Their offense gave uh, TCU plenty of opportunities to put points on the board. Uh, between those two sides of the ball just completely folding in big moments, uh, that game shouldn't have even been close. I think Michigan should have won that game and should have won it pretty handily. But uh, that's why you play the games, folks. That's why it's not played on paper and it's played on the field. TCU had a better night, and uh, Michigan's season ended in disappointment. With that being said, I think Michigan is the uh, the top team in the Big Ten this year. Um, again, nothing against Ohio State or Penn State. Um, both of those teams are very talented. Both of those teams should certainly give Michigan a run for their money. But Michigan is returning too much, and I think they are going to be uh, a tough out in their Big Ten in their Big Ten schedule this year. Uh, that puts them as a front runner for the Big Ten. Uh, in the uh, national championship conversation. Another team I think could could, could compete for a national title, um, Ohio State. Ohio State, once again, uh, returning their major skill position players with the exception of the quarterback position. That makes them a very dangerous team. They have a very talented defense, just like they've had for the last few years. That doesn't surprise anybody either. Um, but their weak spots are on the offensive and defensive lines, which when you have to go head to head against a very physical offensive line and a very physical defensive line uh, in Michigan, that's going to be a very tough game for you to win. Uh, Ohio State on their defensive line in particular in particular relies on a lot of speed. So uh, power versus speed, is going to be a, a really interesting matchup on the last week of the year for Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, but Ohio State is talented, uh, talented enough to compete for a national title. Um, Alabama, Alabama always is a, a tough team. They always are a team in the uh, thick of the national championship race. That's not going to change this year. Um, and... I think they have an outside shot, depending on how well their quarterback plays. If they get good play out of their quarterback, you can expect Alabama to be back in the national championship conversation uh, for serious consideration for the national championship, not just uh, you know some small talk uh, as we're talking about early in the year. LSU, LSU is another team that could compete, but like I said, they have to overcome Alabama. And that's going to be a really tough game for them to overcome. But you never know. It could be something that happens this year. It could be something that doesn't. But uh, they are a talented team. They have good coaching. They are certainly uh, a team to uh, keep an eye on for this year. Uh, As far as uh, Florida State and Clemson, my thought process on this is the winner of that game is going to – be the ACC representative for, uh, you know, the national championship conversation. So ultimately, whoever wins that game is going to either represent the ACC as the number four seed in the national championship uh, playoffs, 
or they will be on the outside looking in as a number five or number six seed. Now, uh, Florida State, if they are able to beat LSU and able to beat Clemson, they will be in as the number four seed as long as they don't foul up somewhere in the middle of their season. Clemson, if they don't get tripped up by Notre Dame or Florida State and they don't get tripped up by some unexpected game, they should be in uh, that number four spot for uh, the national championship playoff game. So that's something that I could see happening. Now on to some outside outsiders that uh, you know could compete for a national championship if things go right and one of those uh, teams slip up. Uh, Penn State, I'm going to start with them. If Penn State is able to beat Ohio State or Michigan and keep uh, the other game close, so for example, if Penn State beats Michigan at home and loses like a 34-31 game against Ohio State, that could put him in conversation as number four seed. Will it? I don't know. But uh, that could certainly put him in conversation as a number four seed or uh, number three seed, depending on how highly they think of Penn State, they, how highly they think of the Big Ten, and how well the ACC and Pac-12 conferences do. A team that I really think could be on the outside looking in as well. I, I'm going to just put USC there because they are ranked high enough in the uh, coaches and AP polls right now that they could make some noise. But I truly don't see it happening in my heart of hearts because they would have to they would have to beat Utah. They would have to beat Oregon. They would have to beat Washington. I don't think they can beat all three of those teams. I think, as a matter of fact, that they could slip up in two of those games and have a 10-2 record, which would completely eliminate them from national championship consideration. Heck, even losing one of those games might uh, be enough to eliminate them from national championship consideration, considering how weak the rest of the Pac-12 is. Uh, Another team that uh, could make some noise, but again... It's going to rely heavily on how uh, well they play the rest of their games uh, through their schedule. Notre Dame. Notre Dame's got a really tough schedule to play. Um, granted, playing Navy is, uh, is not one of those tough games that they have. But they do have USC. They do have Ohio State. They do have Clemson. You know, they have tough games on their schedule. So if they are able to run the gauntlet and beat all of these tough games on their schedule, or if they win all but one and that one game that they lose is a very close game, that's something that could uh, put them in the national championship conversation. And with a name like Notre Dame, uh, that is something that the college football playoff committee is going to take into strong consideration because that is going to drive up ratings, whether you like it or not. The playoff is a ratings game, and they want the best ratings they can get for the product that they're going to put on the field. So a program like Notre Dame, a a program that has such national attention like that, is going to get strong consideration. So if they are anywhere close to that number four or number three spot, you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to get they're going to find the way into the college football playoff 
unless they slip up a couple of times. So uh, that's kind of how I feel about that. Now, who I really think is going to represent the college football playoff spots, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the, these four teams as uh, my predictions. So as the number one seed, we're going with the University of Georgia. The number two seed, the University of Michigan. The number three seed, the University of Alabama. And the number four seed, Florida State University. I think we're going to have uh, some fun matchups there. Um, Florida State being a team that hasn't seen the college football playoff uh, in quite some time. So uh, it'll be a nice little uh, change to the uh, structure a little bit. The other three been there pretty recently, obviously. Uh, Georgia, I think, is just too loaded. And uh, they know how to win close games after uh, their last few years of uh, winning these close games that they had lost in previous years. Alabama, I think I think they, uh, they get just enough uh, quarterback play to find themselves as a number three seed. And Michigan, like I said, I think they're the uh, class of the Big Ten. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them uh, stay at the number two seed and, uh, and represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. Now, who I think is going to represent the, uh, the finalists? You know, it's going to be really hard to say that Alabama is going to lose to Michigan. Uh, so I think Alabama is going to represent uh, the college football playoff, and I think Georgia is going to represent the college football playoff. Uh, nothing against Florida State or Michigan. I think both teams are very talented. But, uh, you know, the SEC is the cream of the crop in terms of uh, the conferences. And this year is going to be another year where they show why they're the cream of the crop. So uh, Georgia, I think, is going to win it overall. Um, it's going to, you know, my thought process is until you knock the champion out, especially when they go back to back like uh, Georgia has. So unless somebody knocks out Georgia ahead of time, uh, I'm a firm believer of they're going to defend the title. So Georgia's going to be going to be uh, the champion in my, uh, in my mind and uh, Alabama, Michigan, and Florida State's going to represent the college football playoff. Now let's talk about uh, tonight's Jets-Giants game. This game is the uh, final game of the preseason for both teams. Uh, as they fine-tune some things before going into the regular season, uh, some of the big things to really be watching out for are uh, some of the players that are going to be fringe roster players. So this should be interesting uh, to see who makes the team after tonight's uh, game. And, uh, you know, over the next uh, week or so, we should find out a little bit more about the finalizing of all the NFL rosters. So uh, that should be interesting. But uh, let's talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers and Daniel Jones. So first, Aaron Rodgers is going to make his uh, Jets uh, debut tonight as he's going to probably play one series just to make sure he uh, stays fresh going into week one for the Jets as they uh, take on the Buffalo Bills on September 11th. For the Giants, Daniel Jones is going to be uh, probably fine-tuning some things a little bit tonight in preparation for the Giants' Week 1 uh, opener against the Dallas Cowboys. 
So this should be fun uh, and interesting things that happen. Uh, on top of that, Aaron Rodgers, again, uh, making his debut for the Jets. Um, I expect him to, you know, make a handful of throws and not do anything too risky to uh, get himself hurt. If uh, the Jets do think there's a possibility that he gets hurt uh, with uh, the line play, I don't expect him to be in there very long, and he's going to be pulled the minute he takes a hard hit or the minute uh, the first series is over. Uh, same thing with the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones, it, I don't think he's going to be in there long enough to uh, make any sort of big, uh, you know, for any sort of big injury to happen. So I, I hope that he's only in there for one series and that uh, that's going to be end of, the end of it and the coaches use the rest of the time to evaluate the rest of the roster and uh, see who's going to be on the final 53 um, I'm excited to see that piece of it because uh, then it means that we really are in football season. This is just a formality at this point, and uh, we should have some exciting times to happen. So uh, let's let's get ready for football, baby. All right, now that I'm done talking about uh, about that, and uh, you know I'm excited about uh, the upcoming football season. I've already made my predictions. I'm not uh, moving my predictions or changing them at all. Uh, what I said is what I said. Uh, who I think is going to make the playoffs is who I think is going to make the playoffs, and who I think is going to win the Super Bowl is uh, who I think is going to win the Super Bowl. So uh, look at my uh, NFL preview episode and uh, and listen to that if, to find out who I think is going to do uh, the uh, the best this season. As far as the baseball season, you know, the Yankees really had a chance to uh, to make some noise. They were playing the Washington Nationals this week. They could have done something. Instead, they lost two of three. Uh, just, they, what can you say? They suck. They suck. There's nothing that you can say positive about this organization right now. To make matters worse, we're... You know, I'm done talking about the team on the field. The team on the field, I have been bashing them to death at this point. Let's talk about the team in the front office, the team, the members of the organization that have just absolutely done terrible things for this organization. So let's start off with the, uh, the man that I think has the most to blame here, and that's Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman, you know, he was at one point one of the smartest GMs in the game. I think the game has passed him by now. The game has absolutely passed him by. Um, you know, he's relied too heavily on the analytics. And nothing against Aaron Boone here because... I don't think he is fully to blame. I do think he does share part of the blame. But I don't think he is fully to blame. I think one of the major issues with Aaron Boone is that he's a yes man and doesn't know how to push back or doesn't want to push back out of fear of losing his job. 
And frankly, the Yankees are going to use him as a scapegoat as the end of, at the end of the year, and they'll be looking for a new manager. But I think uh, the biggest issue is that it's an organizational philosophy. The Yankees, and my suspicions were confirmed by a former member of the Yankees minor league, uh, organ, uh, for, a former minor leaguer, part of uh, the Yankees organization. And this former minor leaguer uh, opened everyone's eyes to, to some things. And I'm sure plenty of fans had the same suspicions that I had uh, about the Yankees focusing too much on launch angles, too much on uh, exit velocity, and not enough on hitting the ball where, there ain't, where they ain't. And on top of that, uh, because they focused so much on that and focused on uh, you know walks, they didn't focus on the fundamentals of playing in the field. They didn't focus on how to properly run the bases. They didn't focus on any of the regular baseball fundamentals that make a baseball team a baseball team. And because I heard this stuff, and my own eyes told me this, my own eyes told me this, I didn't need anyone to uh, really tell me this. My own eyes told me that they couldn't play fundamentally sound baseball. How many, how many of the same mistakes do we have to watch Glaber Torres make um, to realize that, okay, they're not a fundamentally sound baseball team? You know, you might be able to chalk that up to uh, Glaber Torres, but uh, it's not just Glaber Torres. I've seen Kyle Higashioka get thrown out at third on a ground ball that was hit in front of him. That's stuff you learn in Little League. If a ground ball is hit in front of you, you don't run. Now, it's different when it's first runners on first and second. But if you're just on second, there's nobody on first, what are you doing running to third base on a ground ball hit in front of you? Like, that is, that's child's play, literally. You know, and then the amount of errors that they make, the amount of mental lapses that they have, like, what are we doing? Are you kidding me here? It's insane. But, you know, at least they're focusing on exit velocity and uh, launch angle. Because if they didn't hit home runs, they wouldn't score any runs. If they don't get base hits, because, well, one, they don't get base hits. These guys are swinging for the fences every single time they come up to the plate. It's very obvious to see. These guys are guessing at fastball every time they get up to the plate. It's obvious every time you watch them swing the bat. So, you know, the good teams bear down and they don't try to hit the ball as hard as they can when uh, there's runners in, in scoring position. They're trying to move the runner along. They're trying to get a base hit. Like, And the Yankees don't do any of that stuff. They're trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark every time they get up to the plate. And that is a byproduct of the Yankees analytics department. That is a byproduct of the brain trust that um, Brian Cashman brought in. That was why Dylan Lawson got fired. He was being used as a scapegoat. And don't get me wrong, he fully subscribed to this philosophy. And that philosophy has uh, failed him as a hitting coach as uh, 
He said in the past, and I quote, I don't care how these guys hit as long as we're winning games. Well, the problem was the way that you were teaching them to hit or the way that you were making them focus on hitting was the reason why we were losing games, you know, why the Yankees were losing games. So, you know, you might want to do your job. You might want to study up a little bit more on the finer points of hitting uh, because I can easily preach exit velocity and launch angle and get a job if that's the case, you know, instead of teaching the finer points of hitting. And, you know, unfortunately, these bad habits are now there for the Yankees and will continue to be there. Who knows how long this uh, sets them back and who knows how far down in the minors that that philosophy uh, got stemmed down to. Because if it got all the way down to all these uh, young players, you just lost an entire uh, prospect group. Maybe it's not too late for them. Maybe they're guys that can learn really quick on how to unlearn bad habits. But I can tell you for a fact, and this is not just baseball speak here. This is just a general life lesson. It is really, really hard to unlearn bad habits. For some people, it takes years to unlearn a bad habit. And unfortunately, the Yankees that are on the roster don't have years to unlearn bad habits. They're all, there's a lot of older veterans here that have maybe a handful of months to unlearn the bad habits that they learned under this organization. So you've already lost what's left of the Yankee roster right now to these bad habits. And now, you know, what do you do next year? You know, Aaron Boone's probably not going to be managing the team next year. So who's going to fill a a spot? Who's going to make up that coaching staff? Those are important questions to ask because that is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen next year. And let's be honest, I will be shocked if Brian Cashman is fired, even though he deserves to be. He deserves to be gone. I will be shocked if Hal pulls the trigger because I don't have confidence in Hal at all. He's all about getting the money. He's not about putting a winning product on the field. It's about the illusion of a winning product, which he has certainly given off that illusion uh, several times now over the last five or six years. As far as the Mets are concerned, you know, they're, they're playing better baseball than the Yankees are. They sold everybody off. And yet they're still playing better baseball than the Yankees right now. Talk about how pathetic that is for a Yankee organization. But you know what? Got to give credit to the Mets. They decided to go in a particular direction and they went all in in that particular direction. They didn't, they didn't half it. They went fully into that direction. And as, as Mets fans, I would understand if you're upset that they went in a direction that uh, sets the team back by a few years. Totally get it. But you know what? They went in a direction, and they're giving their youngsters a, a chance to, uh, to prove themselves. You know, the Yankees are doing that too right now, but let's be honest. This is just a, you know, a ploy. It's a ploy for the Yankees. The Mets, it's legitimate because they, because they got rid of everybody. 
The Yankees didn't get rid of anybody. These are just stopgap moves that are being made until guys come back. Or unless the Yankees get completely uh, eliminated from playoff contention. Um, in my opinion, they are fully out of it. They are nine games back. They have to leapfrog like four teams. That you know They're done. They're cooked. But uh, the organization's not going to see it that way. The organization's going to say, oh, we have a chance. As long as we're mathematically into it, we have a chance. And realistically, they don't. But uh, that's just my uh, honest opinion there. But the Mets, you know, they're going to have to do a little bit of rebuilding in their pitching rotation. But they have a good group of young players that they can build around. It might take a couple of years for them to start uh, fully coming into their own. Not everyone can just adjust to the major league pitching uh, as soon as they come up to the big leagues and uh, in their first full season. You're seeing it right now with Anthony Volpe with the Yankees. You know, he he spent most of the first half of the year hitting below 200. He's starting to figure it out now as his batting average has climbed up about 20 points uh, over the second half of the year. He's now at 217 after being at like 197 in the first half of the year. So, you know, I truly expect uh, him to start figuring it out more and more. But, you know, there's going to be some growing pains for the Mets, just like there were uh, for Anthony Volpe this year for the Yankees. Uh, With all the the youngsters on the Mets roster, uh, hopefully they can figure it out uh, sooner rather than later, and that means that the Mets will be uh, successful over the long term. But uh, I expect it to be a a tough uh, stretch for the Mets over the next year. Uh, you're really looking at 2025 being a year where they could potentially compete with uh, some of the other uh, talent in the National League. In other news, for uh, the New York Mets, they've announced that they're going to retire the numbers of uh, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry are probably the two best Mets to ever put on the uniform. Uh, they carried the Mets in the 80s, and unfortunately for them, they couldn't keep their uh, their noses clean, quite literally, unfortunately, um, because they struggled with drug addiction for the entirety of their major league careers, and obviously it's not something that is easy to overcome. It's something that becomes a lifelong struggle, and these guys are still fighting that uh, that addiction to this day um but good on the Mets for deciding to retire their numbers they both uh earn that right by their play on the baseball field and their contributions to the New York Mets uh over the course of their career so uh congratulations to those two gentlemen uh on receiving such an honor um for the Mets I think uh, it's probably too little, too late in a sense, but uh, better late than never. So congrats again to Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, who spent a large portion of their uh, baseball careers playing for the city of New York as they both spent time with the Yankees and the Mets. So, uh, yeah, good uh, good on both of them. So as I mentioned at the uh, start of this podcast uh, today, that uh, I wanted to make an amendment on one of my uh, World Series contenders, uh, and that's because of the news that came out about Wander Franco and uh, his uh, legal troubles. Uh, 
So uh, my adjustment clearly being that Tampa Bay is no longer uh, going to be a main competitor for the World Series title. They could still compete for one. They still have Randy Arozarena. They still have pretty solid pitching. But to lose one of your key contributors to your offense so late in the season, that is going to be really tough for them to overcome. So uh, I am scratching the raise off that list of uh, should-be comp- uh, competitors for the World Series. I'm not replacing them with, any- with anybody else. I'm just going to leave it as is. Uh, again, look at one of my uh, or listen to one of my uh, previous episodes because I talk a little bit about the uh, who I think the World Series con- uh, contenders are. And I just uh, am going to hold myself accountable here uh, every time I think I mess something up. So uh, that's something that you'll be hearing more often from me, especially uh, come football season. Uh, As the season unfolds, you'll hear me uh, call myself out on the things that I mess up. And uh, you might hear me pat myself on the back uh, when I get things right. So uh, this is just setting that precedent and... uh, I hope you all understand where I'm coming from there. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, that's going to do it for me on this episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. I hope everybody enjoys the rest of your weekend. Take care, everybody.